This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of a dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Eric. Um, the reason the, the Bible passage this evening didn't quite match the screen is it, it didn't fit on my handout. So I had to trim the handout down just a touch, um, but that's what I wanted read. So that's where we are. We see God speaking to some dreams into Joseph's life. And we see these incredible pictures that he paints. And there's an incredible journey that happens afterwards. And it doesn't go the way that we maybe expect or hope that it might. So let's pray as we dive in. Father, we thank you that you have a plan for each and every one of us. And we ask you expectantly to meet us here. Show us yourself. Take us to the end of ourselves so we can only see you. Amen. <clears throat> a God-given dream like Joseph had provides us with the energy and the inspiration to do the partnership work that we're talking about. We need the dream to motivate our life. Because if you've ever felt like, you know, I, know what, I know what's right to do, I know what I, I should be doing, I just don't feel like it today, the dream helps get you there. And some of you need to hear God speaking a dream into your heart beyond your present circumstance and beyond your present expectation of what he can do in your life. You need this just explosion of an idea of what he could do in your life. Some of you, others of you, need to recognize the dream that's right around you and you're missing it. Parenting, for example, that's a God-given dream. Believe it or not, it is. What I do in the lives of my kids, what I give into their lives, God will change the world through them. 
And you need to recognize that God-given dream that's already in motion in your life. Now we read Joseph's life, and that was a snapshot. Genesis is a long, long book. We read Joseph's life. We see he's a very different man than Jacob, than his father Jacob. So we meet him, and Joseph is 17. He's tending the flock with his brothers, and he's reporting to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. This is not a good idea. This is not the learning point. This is some weird sibling rivalry that's still going on in this family. I was in um, Mabel's class. Again, so I have lots of stories about my kids, and here's the deal. I'll tell them, and I think they're helpful, and they're often amusing. Just don't ever bring them up with my kids, okay? That's the deal that we'll have in this room. So I was in uh, Mabel's class, our middle child. She's in first grade? Yes, first grade. <laughs> and um, we were, we were, they're doing a baking unit, so we were baking. And um, so we were doing um, Rice Krispie Treats or something, and I was with this kid, Charles, and, and Charles and I are best friends now. We talk all the time when I'm in the school. And, um, and that was going on, and we are like melting marshmallows or something. I, don't, I didn't really know what was happening. I was just, you know, making it fun. And then they kept coming up to the teacher and saying, oh, Miss Kristen, this is happening. This is happening. And she said, that sounds like a tattle. That sounds like a tattle. It's now my new favorite phrase. I say it all the time. That sounds like a tattle. Mm-hmm. And then I completely remove all responsibility of solving the problem. And in this sense, that sounds like a tattle, Joseph. Honestly, what are we doing here? But Jacob loved Joseph, it says, more than any of his other children because he'd been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had this special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. And his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Now, if you have not figured this out yet, this family had not figured this out yet, favorite kids, this is not a good idea. And showing that you have favorites is a worse idea. This is not going well. But fortunately, Joseph and Jacob are different. Jacob was a schemer. Joseph is a dreamer. We relate to Jacob, but we're inspired by Joseph. Because Jacob's the one we look at and we say, that's me. That's where I am. I can relate to some of that. That makes sense. Joseph's the one we look at and say, "Ah, that's where I want to be. That's where I'd like to get to. And Joseph has this dream, and he tells his brothers, and they hate him even more. And then I'll read it again. So listen to this dream. He says, we're out in the field tying up bundles of grain, and my bundle stood up, and all your bundles gathered around and bowed low before mine. Yeah, nice dream, Joseph. (laughs) Yeah, that's going to help. And they respond, kind of as you'd imagine. So you think you'll be our king, do you? You actually think, you actually think you're going to reign over us. And they hated him all the more because of these dreams and the way he talked about them. Now, we make this mistake all the time, too. We share the dream we have, the dream God has given us, with the wrong people at the wrong time. It may be a God-given dream, and we're so excited about it, and we want somebody to know, and we want to share it, and we share it with the wrong people at the wrong time. And all of a sudden, immediately, they start to quench the dream, and it starts to fade. And even, even Jacob has this interesting reaction, too. Joseph had this other dream. I don't have another dream, he says. The sun, the moon, 11 stars bow down before me. He tells the dream to his father as well as the brothers, and the father scolds him. What kind of dream is that, he asks. Will your mother and I, your brothers, actually come and bow to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous. His father wondered what it meant. 
was kind of him to give it a second thought. So Jacob rebukes the dream. Jacob rebukes the dream. Jacob, the one who'd had two dreams himself. He hears about two dreams that his son has had, and he asks, what are you talking about? This is madness. Joseph, Jacob, his brothers, all had different reactions to this dream. It's the brothers who are furthest from God's will in the whole thing. They're the ones that are furthest away, and they're the ones who are used the most to begin the process of accomplishing this incredible God-given dream. Because God is so amazing that way. Of course he would. Of course he would take the worst things that Satan throws at us and turn them around for something good. Because immediately after you get this God-given dream, when God lays that on your heart, Satan doesn't want you to have it. Because it's going to change the world. If it's God-given, it should be tested. God wants to test it so it can be strengthened, so it can be refined. So you get testing from both sides of this dream that always face tests. Dreams always face tests. When you get something from God and it's good and it's going to change the world, it's going to face some tests. You're going to come up against people who say, that is not God's dream for your life. You know, I don't know if God really wants that or doesn't want that for you. Because there are some people, like Joseph's brothers, they don't have a dream. So when someone comes to them with a dream that they have, it's intimidating. It's off-putting. It's, it's maybe even frightening. And there are some people that don't want a dream. They don't want to think or see bigger than where they're at because it puts a spotlight on them. Maybe they've been disappointed in the past, so their reaction is to put down their and your dream. And the journey to get to that dream can unfold often in such a way that it can seem destroyed, where the dream feels like totally wiped out. There's no way it can come true now. And this also happens to Joseph. Verse 12, 37 verse 12, we hear the story. Joseph's still 17, and his father sends him out 30 miles or so north to the fields of Shechem to find out how his brothers and the flocks are doing. Now, remember the last time Joseph went out to see how his brothers were doing? It didn't end well for them. So he brought back this bad report. The relationship is not going well. Jacob seems to be tone deaf to the whole thing. After two dreams, so we had that incident, we've had two dreams. The brothers are mad says this, Joseph's brother saw him coming. They recognized him in the distance. And as he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him. Let's throw him into one of the cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal's eaten him. And then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. This family, this family, if you ever need an example of inherited sin and dysfunction, this one is a pretty good one. And one of the other brothers said, yo, we can't kill him. He's our brother. Let's throw him into a well. Yet yeah, much better. <laughs> then another brother has this bright idea. Let's sell him to slavery so we can make money out of it. That's a better way to go. This family, I swear, is like a family therapist retirement fund. It's nuts. But they sell him into, into slavery. They take this multicolored coat, this richly ornamented robe that was a symbol of the fact that he was loved more than they were. They put blood in it. They take it back to the father. They say, he's, he's dead. He's gone. And he's sold into slavery. But remember, Joseph had a dream. And his dream was that he was going to rise up above his brothers, above his father, above his mother. He was going to be a ruler. This was a good dream. This was a great dream. Yet the first step in the fulfillment of this dream is to become a slave. 
could anything be further from this God-given dream? Because the dream now appears to be destroyed. And when dreams face tests, when the plan that we think God has laid in our heart face a test, we find out whose dream it really is. We find out, is it my idea or is it God's will? When I face denial of a dream, when people are against it, the answer is commitment. When someone denies a dream, it's an opportunity for me to express a new and fresh commitment to God and to the dream he gave me. When doubts creep in, the answer is scripture. It's God's word. We have the Bible to look at. We can look in that. We can look for answers for God's dreams in our lives. What does God's word say? Does it strengthen that dream? Or are there some things here that make me begin to doubt this is God's dream for my life? When you take a God-given dream and you start to read through God's word with that dream in mind, you say, see, Lord, if it's right, show me. Yeah. But also have the strength and courage to ask, if it's wrong, show me that too. And doing that adds authority to your dream and adds assurance to your dream. And if you're on the wrong path, it will save a world of disappointment and pain. But what happens when it seems that like the dream has been wiped out, that everything you are building on to make this dream happen and, and God's knocked all the cards down, what do you do then? And then you ask, am I willing to wait for the dream? Is it going to be worth it? Can I wait? Because usually God's dreams take some time. They're often not instantaneous. They take time to fulfill. When it seems like there's no possible way for this dream to happen in your life, God has you right where he wants you. Have you come to the end of yourself? That's the very moment he can show us it's his dream, done his way, in his power, and no other way. I had a sense of a call into ministry. This is kind of in hindsight, but at a very young age. At, um, I've told this story before, I'm sure. At five or six, I think it was, I, I felt that tug, this idea that there was a spotlight right on me when the, it was a Catholic priest at the time, was calling for um, boys, men, to go into the, into the ministry, into the priesthood. And I assumed everyone has this, this thought. When people talk about ministry and they talk about leadership in churches, I thought, oh, everyone who, who's a believer must be like, oh, gosh, they're talking to me. That I, I probably, I'm just going to keep my head down because everyone, everyone else is thinking the same thing. Turns out that's not true. Um, and then um, I went and actually did my undergraduate degree in medical microbiology because, um, you know, everyone thinks the same thing about that dream. So I carried on. And um, so I was in college and we were doing all these different things um, in the church and in, in the Christian union groups and stuff. And I started preparing for ministry. And I felt like this is, oh, this is it. After the degree, ministry is the thing. So I'm going to have this church internship and I... I was telling um, someone about this, the other, or Sarah, about this the other day, and I was like, yeah, I, I met with the, the DDO of the, of the town, of my hometown, which is the, the director of diocesan ordinance, <laughs> however you say that. And it's the, the guy who sponsors people to go into the Church of England Anglican faith. And, and um, so I was doing all these things, and I was reading all these books, and I went on this weekend like introduction to the whole process, and it was all about it. Um, which that DDO meeting was the worst uh, meeting of my life. Um, but anyway, um, it, that was the plan. And I had this internship lined up, and I was going to work at this church, and I was going to stay in the, in the, they had a house, a lodge in the cemetery, and I was going to live in there. 
which is a whole other story. Um, and then suddenly, out of nowhere, I felt God say, nope, this isn't it. Not now. Not, maybe not never, but not now. This isn't the path ahead. And I was floored, and I was confused. And so I did something that I thought would be helpful on the way into ministry was I figured out what the path would be. And I, so I, I became a registered nurse, and I worked in the ER, and um, did some work in Africa and stuff. And that was kind of, so this will make sense. And the, the end of that journey ends up with a lot of different steps and a lot of strange turns, but ends up here, which is even more bizarre, because the dream was bigger than I could have imagined. So even though it felt like it had gone, if you're patient enough, if you can wait long enough, God will do the work to make his plan come to fruition. You have this dream, and you're excited about this dream, and you're building towards this dream, and the dream falls apart, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and the waiting for the dream is often the work. Joseph moved from Israel with these slave traders down to Egypt. He's sold into slavery, as I said, to this man named Potiphar. Every move Joseph makes towards this dream seems to be a downward turn. His brothers throw him down into a pit. They set him down into slavery. So what do you do when you're waiting, when the doors keep closing, when it feels like a downward spiral? What do you do when you feel like God said, mm, not yet? What do you do with this dream at that point? Whether it's kids or marriage or work, when stuff's spiraling in the wrong direction, what do you do? How do you, how do you manage it? Well, you have to live the dream, even on the way down even when it doesn't seem real. Live the dream even though you don't see the dream. Oftentimes what we do is give up. We feel like it's going the wrong direction. The dream is destroyed, it fades. Let's move on. It was a fun dream. Joseph doesn't do that. God had given into his life this dream to be a great leader. He's sold into slavery. He's in the house of a man named Potiphar. Before long, what does he do? He becomes the leader of all the slaves in that household. That's not God's eventual dream for his life. But even there, even as a slave in his lowly position, down, 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 he lives the dream, even though he didn't see the dream. Um, years ago, I was at a church, and we did a lot of um, children's curriculum, video curriculum. So we'd be filming stuff. It was the most fun thing ever. Um, there's videos you can find, if you know how to search for them, of me acting in various capacities. And then one of, the, one of the guys I work with, one of the production assistants, his name was Chris, and um, we'd do these big long days and long shoots, and it'd be in California, it was hot, or sometimes they're at night for some reason, and I'm not sure why that was. was. I never understood any of the, the curriculum, so if you do find a video of me, know that I knew what I was doing in that scene and that scene alone. I have no idea what the rest of the whole arc was. I never read the script, they're too long. But um, we do these long, long shifts, and, and, and we'd pack up all the gear. There's so much gear, and it's so heavy, and I don't understand how any of it works. And Chris would do all, a lot of this work, and he'd say, how are you doing, Chris? How's the day? And he'd say, oh, live in the dream. Live in the dream. And Joseph used that phrase in a different, less ironic way. Joseph shows us how to live the dream even when we don't see it. And for Joseph, living the dream meant leading in slaves' clothing. Maybe you're not where you think God will take you. Maybe you're more qualified for where you're at. Or you know, you know there's something greater, the next thing's greater. So right now, lead in slaves' clothing. Still do what God has made you to do. 
Joseph did that in Potiphar's house. And in Colossians, we're told to, to act like, to live like citizens of heaven, because that's who we are. Until we're there, we'll lead in slaves' clothing. Live the dream, even when you don't see the dream. Joseph worked while he was in Egypt. He's not in Israel. He's not in God's promised land. He doesn't want to be where he's at. He didn't deserve to be where he's at. Yet he makes the choice to be faithful. And we too have to learn to work in Egypt. Because that's where God's at work in our lives. Your success as a believer in Christ, your real impact on this world is not going to be determined so much by the blessings in Israel, but the faithfulness in Egypt. Those times that you're in a place you don't want to be, doing something you don't want to be doing, but God has you there for a purpose. That's the place. That's the place where God does something powerful. And Joseph experiences great success. He's, su he's successful in part of his house. So exceed in your part of his house. Joseph, this great leader, God's given him these great gifts and abilities, this great dream. He's working the house of part of He makes his master very successful. And I'm sure part of took the credit for it. And people will do the same to you. They will take the credit for that work. Don't worry about it. God will take care of that. Just keep serving. Just keep working. Do what Paul did. He had a God-given dream to share the gospel with everyone. And in Philippians, in the New Testament, he tells us there's people who are jealous of, of Paul's work. They're trying to compete. And he said, it's true. It's true. Some are trying to preach out of jealousy and rivalry. Doesn't matter. God can take care of that. And here's what I believe to be true, partly from my own experience. When someone else tries to take credit for the dream that you have, that God's given you, and you start to feel angry about that, there's a chance it's becoming your dream and not God's. Yeah, we should internalize God's dream for our lives, absolutely. We should own it, we should care about all those things, but we should remember it's God's dream. We don't want to handle his dream for our lives like Jacob did, but when I recognize it's God's dream, I realize God will take care of it. If it's God's dream, he's got the process. Waiting for God's dream can be filled with times of temptation. Temptation to take control, sure. But temptation in all sorts of different ways. And it's important to be on guard in those times of life, in those down, down, down times. That's when temptations often come. They're not, they often don't come when you're working for the Lord, when there's a lot to do. The real dangers of waiting for anything is temptation. And you're a prime candidate to fall into that because of the frustration and the doubt, the untapped time, the unrealized potential, the fact you feel unseen, looked over, like you're treading water, and your attention is drawn elsewhere. We all face temptations. Jesus was tempted. He didn't succumb to temptation, but he was tempted. And every one of us will too. You're going to face temptation in your life as a believer. Satan will send it your way. And Joseph models some responses to a dream that isn't going the way he'd hoped for. And he shows that we have to learn to survive the setbacks. They're going to happen. If you're on your, if you're on a, your, your own Joseph story and you're on your way down, you've reached the bottom, you're a part of his house leading the slaves, 
facing temptations. You're saying no, but then look what happened to Joseph. One day, however, no one else was around and he went to do his work. And Potiphar's wife came and grabbed him by the cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. When she saw that she was holding his cloak and that he'd fled, she called out to the servants. And soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. Came into my room to rape me and I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left the cloak behind. She kept that cloak with her until her husband came home. She told him the story. That Hebrew slave he brought into her house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. When I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar is furious. Here's the story of how Joseph has allegedly treated her. And he takes Joseph, he throws him into the prison where the king's prisons were held, and there he remains. Joseph was already at the bottom. He was a slave. Now he's a prisoner slave, which is more than a setback. Because a setback is when you're at the top of, of the mountain and you go down a little bit. You can still see the top, but you're down a little bit. That's a setback. When somebody knocks you to the bottom of the mountain and then digs a hole and throws you down that, that's where Joseph is. He's a prisoner. But again and again and again, we see the Lord is with Joseph. The next verse where we just left off, the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And Joseph continued to trust in God, to say no to temptation, because the eyes of God were upon him. He tried to be faithful to God in difficult circumstances. You will never find a place as a believer in Christ where the Lord will not be with you. Never. Not just in the Old Testament. Romans 8, the last couple of verses, Paul says, I'm convinced, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life angels nor demons, neither fears for today or worries about tomorrow, nor even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above, in the earth below. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can separate us from his love. You can never find a place where God won't be with you. On the other side of that coin, you'll never discover a place where faithfulness is impossible. Never. And that's the truth of Joseph's life. He was faithful in his father's house, faithful in part of his house, faithful as a son, faithful as a slave, faithful as a prisoner. He loved the secret of being faithful to his commitments no matter what. And that, that makes a great dreamer. That's what makes a great God-given dream come true. You won't solve all the setbacks you face as you try to follow God's dream. Joseph apparently never solved this setback of this unjust accusation that was brought against him. He could have spent his energy the rest of his life trying to solve that, saying, I was unjustly accused. It wasn't right. I'm going to fight with all my might to make sure everybody knows that. Thankfully, he doesn't do that. He survives the setback. Instead of allowing that setback to govern the rest of his life, he survives it moves on. We will face setbacks that we will never solve in this world. And they're waiting for the next world. And God will bring about the justice that he needs to bring about. Because the truth is, when it comes to God-given dreams, a lot of us, all of us, have a mental, a mental finger that we're pointing at something, someone in our life that's keeping that dream from coming true. Until that's solved, 
I can't go on and accomplish God's dream for my life. Until, until they come to me and ask for forgiveness, I, I can't do that. For what, for what they've done means I can't. This is in the way. Until, until this happens, I can't go on. Until God explains to me exactly why this circumstance happened, I can't go on. He's got to do that first. They're setbacks. Something that happened, sure. But strive to survive the setbacks. Be determined to go on. Don't let them steal God's dream for your life. We're about to head into Lent that leads up to Easter. So I encourage you, spend some time considering what your God-given dream is. Where does God want to take you? Where do you want to see him working? What are the setbacks that you've decided are insurmountable? How are you living the dream in your current circumstances? How are you living the dream at this church? And if you don't feel that you have a God-given dream right now, get ready. God will put his dream into your life if you ask and you listen. Joseph worked for his dream. He worked when all seemed lost. He worked through setbacks, unclear circumstances, And even then, when everything seemed to go his way and the dream was realized, that, that's when the work began. Big dreams, God-given dreams, are hard work. Maybe you have a dream of a great marriage. You pray for it for years, maybe. Finally, God brings the right person to your life and you walk down the aisle and the work is over, right? The wonderful, exhausting, rewarding, frustrating, challenging, impossible, beautiful work just begins. Maybe you have a dream of having kids. And there's nine months of waiting, there's delivery room, there's labor. And that's when the wonderful, exhausting, rewarding, frustrating, challenging, impossible, beautiful work really begins. Maybe you have a dream for a great ministry, a life-changing ministry. Maybe you have a dream for a great church, and we're going to talk more about that tomorrow. That's not where it ends. It doesn't mean we get to sit back and relax and enjoy the beauty of that dream. That is when the wonderful, exhausting, rewarding, frustrating, challenging, impossible, beautiful work really begins. And God wants to partner with us, with you, in this wonderful, in this exhausting, rewarding, frustrating, challenging, impossible, beautiful work in this world. It's the dream he has for you. The specifics of those dreams, as between you and him. So lean in, listen. Live with a love for him that you've never had. And let's get ready to change the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you choose us to partner with, that you choose us to do this work. And we ask for you to invite us into this wonderful, Exhausting, rewarding, frustrating, challenging, seemingly impossible, yet amazingly beautiful work in your beautiful world. Give us the strength 
Give us the courage to follow it through. Show us the dream and help us live the dream. Amen.